Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey, guys. It is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun, too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino-style games to choose from, with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Beyond Recovery. I am your host, Matt, and I'm joined today by the owner of Turning Leaves Recovery and the podcast host of Mastering the Drop. Her name is Trisha. Trisha, how are you doing today? doing spectacular today. Thank you so much, Matt, for having me here. Couldn't be more overjoyed for this fine Monday morning. That's wonderful. You you know what? You mentioned, um, you know, a time of rec- uh, recording here. You had quite the weekend, and I would love it if you told me a little bit more about that. What Because uh, uh, this isn't your typical Monday morning as you normally would have had potentially, you know, Saturday, Sunday to unwind. You were quite busy this past weekend. Forgive my cat in the background. Um, Her name is Trout, by the way. My dogs may or may not start barking. Um, (laughs) Because they are inside because it is raining today. Okay, there Um, we go. Yes, I did. I had an amazing weekend. It started midday Thursday, ran all the way through midday yesterday, Sunday. Um, And um, it was for the California Association of Alcohol and Drug Educators Annual Conference, where... Wow, just hundreds of people in in the recovery world realm community um, come together as professionals or aspiring professionals um, to continue to elevate the professionalism of the industry. And and so I spent the weekend um, connecting with um, these folks, but also teaching and training continuing education, so law and ethics and uh, case management and the continuum of care. Um, and it was just amazing. It was literally amazing. That's fantastic. It's uh, energized, but at the same token, as you mentioned today, it's nice to have a little bit lighter workload, you know, to be able to recharge, which I'm sure is a, a big part of, uh, I imagine anyway, as a part of your advice for, for folks in recovery and just in general. So, but I do want to get into this. So let's get into, um, it's everything you have going on, you know, with uh, with clients and everything else. Like, tell us a little bit about Turning Leaves Recovery, please. Well, Turning Leaves was born out of my own journey. And the, I'm going to say the significant gaps in service that I noticed as an individual at my season of life, right? I have a really long story. My recovery journey is well over 30 years um, or not, I'll, I'll, I'll call it over 25, my, my relationship with alcohol and other addictions, such as, um, eating disorders, 
um, people pleasing, codependencies, perfectionism, et cetera, that's spanned well over 30 years. Um, in fact, my story starts at the age of four. Um, my, my story with chemical substances starts at the age of 12 and, and, and runs through roughly 43 years of age. Anyway, so in my final journey into creating what I now refer to as my recovery lifestyle, um, was, you know, diving into and, 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 you know, really experiencing gaps for the person I was and the needs that I had that were very specific to me and, and just realizing that, you know, there were things that were missing. So, um, when I wasn't finding what I needed, I decided to go to school instead. Um, so my first five and a half years of recovery were spent knee deep in this, like all things psychological in nature around addiction. And I'm talking all addictions, process, behavioral and chemical in nature. So even my psych degree was heavily focused in that area. Um, I didn't take any useless classes <laughs> and, and it, and it all, you know, rounded out into, you know, from human services to, um, oh, I have probably 13 coaching credentials as well as a psych degree and counseling credentials that, that have afforded me this space that I needed to fill my own space, but then now allow me that opportunity to serve people in areas where it is not as difficult as it used to be to find services, but was mm. for sure 10 years ago. <laughs> yeah, that's fascinating. I, I, I love this story. You know what comes to mind so often, especially in, in the case of your story here, is like when you hear the hero's journey tale, right? Where you've gone on this huge journey of self-discovery and uh, figuring out, okay, this isn't, the, the way that, that the, you know this is set up is not working for me so i'm going to go about it my own way you know the lifelong learning type thing and then being able to then bring that back so like stage three of the hero's journey is like i've done this development and now i'm going to share what i've learned with others so really really cool i love that how that's the origin story of it and we will get into your personal story i'd love to hear this uh this, about your journey that's led you up to this uh, what the work that you're doing but before we do that, let's talk about, you know, mastering the drop. I want to hear about your podcast. How long have you been doing it? You know, what are oh. some of the benefits that you've had from doing this podcast? Well, mastering the drop started out just as a weekly live on Facebook <laughs> that I would then, you know, also drop into YouTube. Um, it's been probably, I don't know, a year and a half, two years running um, so you can see all the old ones in YouTube. Um, but we we recently shifted it into a podcast format, one to accommodate my schedule and um, needing, you know, and the needing of this space, um, but also to hopefully reach more people, right? We, you know, when we see barriers in life, whether that be the algorithm on Facebook or it be something much larger and way more important, right? We have to we have to add it, delete, and and yeah. find alternatives, right? Like I really never intended to do a podcast, hmm. um, but for it to reach and touch people at, in a broader capability, um, you know, we we are finding that you know having it on you know a podcast platform 
is, is serving that. Now, again, it's fairly new to the podcast platform. In fact, we're still waiting for Apple or iTunes. I think that's what it's mm -hmm. called to, to approve it. Um, but it is on Spotify and it is on Podbean. Um, but anyway, it's, it's where I either come on solo, but most of the time I have a guest and, and we're either sharing our experiences with how we use a, an effective psychological skill set or tactic, or, you know, just even a methodology um, with the listeners, right? Like how it works for us, just give, you know, a broader view and creative um, space, right? It's a space for creative recovery. <laughs> or, or, you know what, we're hearing from somebody either like yourself or, or another guest, um, their, their journey and, mm. and, you know, what their journey was like. So it's mastering the drop, a real view of recovery so that people can just hear recovery stories hear successful journeys, um, and, 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 you know, gain some knowledge. It's so important, uh, you know, to hear for me, for my personal, I can speak for myself and I'd like your take on it as well to hear other people's stories, to hear my story and other people's it's, it was such a relief to me when I first started hearing, you know, somebody saying something that I held with such shame deep inside. And then they would say it, I'm like, Oh, you too. Like, and it was like this permission to like release that shame and even like compare notes and be like, Oh, like I did that too. And kind of have a laugh over it, despite it being like, obviously dark subject matter, but just the fact that you're not alone is enough to like, Oh, you know, just have a release in this really beautiful way where there's no person, no need for my persona or ego to be in, you know, involved. And so, yeah, like, I, I love that idea of like, you know, bringing other people's uh, stories and journeys. What is your take on that as in your experience as far as like sharing stories and such? Well, I just think it really just highlights and, and illuminates the fact that as unique amoebas, right? Because we all are, we're all unique beings that we, you know, we have that autonomy to, to feel comfortable in our own skin, to, to feel okay, regardless of whatever challenges or obstacles we're faced with or are moving through or are overcoming or have overcome, um, you know, it's, you know, there's that, that space, you know, society will, you know, hear what they've always heard, which is, you know, people in recovery, you know, like their autonomy, right. Or their, and, and their anonymity. Mm. Um, and, and I think that is just, you know, such a personal space, like, I don't walk around with a sign that says, hi, my name is, and I'm a, because one, I don't identify that way because unless I'm in active, um, an active addiction, I'm not a anything. I am Trish Herodo and, and this is who I am. And I've, I've done a lot of living mm -hmm. and I've experienced a lot of things. And along the way I've overcome, sat in, moved through, um, learned, grown, um, changed, and evolved. Um, so, you know, I just think that, you know, I, I think that by listening to and hearing other people's stories, it allows for the normalcy mm. to come through because it is so normal. I think, you know, one of my favorite signature talks to give as a speaker is why living without habits fixes everything. And, and it's really a talk that applies to anybody, the person that is, you know, being held hostage by their 6am spin class, or their day world, whatever crumbles and falls apart. 
to that person that, you know, doesn't feel alive unless they, you know, take a handful of Kratom. I don't know. Right. Like yeah. it, everybody's different. Um, and, and I just think that, you know, we just, you know, we need to see that we're all, you know, unique beings, but that we all have that ability to, to be living out loud and transparent if that serves us, but if it doesn't serve us, then that's okay. Also. Yeah. I, I'm loving what I'm hearing. There's a lot of room for like allowing, you know, it's like, I get the impression it's a, uh, yeah, it's, it's ref refreshing take where you're mentioning like not being held hostage to habits. So for me, habits were important, you know, initially, like in my early sobriety, early re recovery, it was great to have that one, you know, bad habit of, of searching around for my next drink. And instead I would, you know, start going to the gym. But at a certain point it was like, I like what you said. I've never heard anybody word it like that being held hostage to habits. So cross addiction is a real thing. Right, right, exactly, right. So, so that's important, and I just I love the um, you know, this is something that Trisha, my, my story has of, of late, like they say, the last six months has been getting out of just this achiever doer, like everything's a habit, everything's micromanaged, and just co, you know, coexisting or co collaborating with the universe instead of having this my this ego driven need to like try and attempt to control every aspect of my life. So I'm I'm really liking what you I'm, I'm hearing from you is very uh, well-bodied and well-developed. So really cool that you you talked about that. A um, couple other things that came up and, and then we'll definitely get into your, your personal story. We were talking about the uh, like the behavioral addictions or the codependency and things of that nature. For me, it was like, I believe it's a Gab Gabber Mate statement is like, okay, what is the reason behind that I have this drinking uh, ha habit in the first place? And I didn't understand that you know, until deep into my, my recovery, I had definitely done that the habit transfer, which was great. It was, was going to the gym as opposed to drinking. So much, much healthier. In the meantime, though, I was still pushing all those feelings down. So yeah, I'm, I'm interested just on your whole take about that and how that came up in your life and how you were able to get through some of these uh, behavioral addictions or patterns that you'd had. Well, I learned about a very specific theory um, and, and it really illuminated a lot for me and about myself and, and my life, but also that very thing that we're talking about process, behavioral, chemical addictions and people <laughs> and, and how we operate, right? We are, we are all born in what is considered the external locus of control position, right? We're reliant on, on other people to, to put a bottle in our mouth if we're hungry, change our diaper, dress us, feed us, bathe us, right? And as we grow, we're to be moving into a more internal locus of control. We start tying our shoes, et cetera, et cetera. However, in our conditioning process and in the modeling process, we learn other things such as, and bear with me if this sounds a little odd to you, but think about when you would fall down and scrape your knee, right? Generally speaking, you got something while mom was pouring the back teen or whatever, cleaning it, whether that was a, you know, a popsicle, a lollipop, whatever you go to the doctor, you get your vaccines. If that's something your family did, I'm older, right? So I'm a seventies baby, early seventies. Um, we have vaccinations. When you go get your vaccinations, the doctor would hand you or the nurse would hand you a lollipop. Right. Um, 
you, I, whenever I went to the dentist and had a filling, I got to dig through a goodie box, right? Um, it when it's our birthday, we get cake, we get presents. Um, geez, when it's Christmas, it's not even our birthday. We get goodies, right? We get things. So we start to learn how to assign an emotional purpose to things outside of us. We become reliant on things outside of us to bring us peace, joy, comfort, relief, value. This could be other people, value, validity, worthiness, right? We're now reliant on, you know, what does society think about this? How is society going to measure out, measure up clothes I wear, the, the weight that shows on my scale? Mm. Um, how is, how is, um, you know, what is somebody else's opinion of, right? My, my thoughts or feelings, like I got to go seek this approval and validation because, you know, my own, my own sense of validity right, relies on it. And, and so we, we, we are conditioned to be this way. And, and so when we're an addict and we rely, you know, and, and actually not everybody's an addict. Let me just take that back because it's something we talked about heavily this weekend. Just because you're having a problem with alcohol doesn't mean you're an alcoholic, right? So, and that's one of those gaps in service. Right. Where people are like, I, you know, just really need to fix my relationship with alcohol. Right. Like that emotional purpose I give it. And that could be the level of stress has gone drastically up through the pandemic period. So my drinking has gone drastically up because it's the only stress reliever I have. Right. Like I know I can have an appropriate relationship with alcohol. I've done it forever my whole life. But suddenly I see myself in this space now when you have that physiological piece where it's like you got your maintenance drinker where physically I can't go without, or I'm going to be sick, crash, seize, whatever, like that's a whole different level, but it's still, there's an emotional purpose. There's a reliance upon, and that's where we want to do that changing that shifting because we really don't need to rely on anything to bring us peace, joy, comfort, relief, value, validity, or worthiness. It's about moving into a true internal locus of control position. Um, and, and, you know, that doesn't mean we don't consider other things. That doesn't, you know, it doesn't mean we remove emotion from all things, but there, so there's a really good balance. And when we learn the right psychological skill sets and tactics that go along with that, then it serves us immensely. In fact, it was, again, life-changing pivotal ground for me. Um, when, when I stepped into this way of beingness. So fascinating. And thank you for, for going mm -hmm. there. Lots of great stuff there. What were some of the things that do allow you to, or, or promote you to be able to do this like internal focus? Is it like, is it through like mindfulness practice, meditation? How did that show up for you? What did you have to, you know, practice essentially to be able to get to that stage? Um, I had to learn exactly how I was hearing, seeing, feeling, and believing about myself, right? It means that you have to take this super deep dive into multiple categories that create you, right? Social, intellectual, emotional, spiritual, you know, there, there's, a, there's a list of them and we look at each category and we examine, you know, how, how you're really experiencing that and you get to know yourself and how you hear but you also have to really look at how you're communicating with yourself. Right. I, I dove in and it's like, what does that dialogue look like? And, and so you, 
you know, I, I, I shift everything more into a preference because, you know, I had to ask myself, like, how do I see myself experiencing living? Mm -hmm. Right. And then it was, Hmm, how do I want to experience my environment? Okay. How do I want my environment to experience me? Mm. Right. So we're looking at these things um, and, 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 you know, having to step into what I call um, a true assertiveness, right. Living in a true assertiveness. So for me and, you know, what that looks like is stepping into open, honest, genuine, transparent, and authentic communication in all things that I do, whether that's with myself or with other people, right? I have to look at how I'm going to handle things, right? So that's creating a huge slowdown, huge slowdown, even though I, when people watch me, I'm going like this, but this is going at a different pace because it's important to me that I'm responsive in all things that I do. There is no knee-jerk reactivity. There is no <laughs> impulsivity. Everything is very thoughtful, right? Like if I'm going to sit down and eat a dessert, because part of my story is my relationship with food, if I'm going to sit down and eat a dessert, I have to make sure of a lot of things. I have to make sure that I'm not going to beat myself up afterwards. I have to make sure I'm not going to restrict to make sure I'm not going to get on the scale. I have to make sure there's not an emotional purpose for what I'm about to do. And, 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 mm. right. But I, because 10 years in the making, it's really quick for me because I've conditioned it as my new way of being, which means I've undone, I undid all of the preconditioning from earlier in life, right? Like my first 26 years has been completely undone and it's been re you know i i re i cultivated right i i explored and dove in and created new distress tolerance created new emotion regulation um and and again so it's mindfulness it's cbt dbt right cognitive behavioral dialectical behavioral but it's all stuff that i can do within me i don't i don't need somebody else to to do it with me anymore because it's embedded mm. it's my new code it's my new code yeah. right like my new wiring and 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 so i have a new way of coming to resolution in all things whether that's other relationships right like i can i can say i have this really great relationship with this person um however these these three topics we cannot talk about because it would then be toxic to our relationship. Mm. And, and I have a way of bowing out of that, right? Like it might sound like, hmm, I'm not going to have that conversation with you, right? Like I totally respect, you know, and, and accept your stance, but I'm going to choose not to engage, right? Because yes. our relationship is far too important to me. And that that just says, I accept you the way that you are. We don't have the same opinion, belief, whatever it is. And, and I think it's better that way we can leave the things out of our relationship that might cause that relationship strain. Yeah. There's way, there's a lot, right? There's a lot that goes into it. Yeah. Um, it's for all intent and purposes. I usually will explain it 
It's the emotional intelligence we didn't know we didn't have, but need to experience living in a way that is fulfilling, lifelong, manageable, and maintainable. Wow. Yeah. A lot, that could literally be an entire episode basically on that subject, which we may have to do at some point. I love it though. That's great. There, I've, I'm, uh, I'm hearing it. Like you say, it's 10 years in the making for yourself, mm -hmm. like you being your own guinea pig, essentially of figuring this out. And now you're teaching this to other people. What I'm hearing you saying you know, a key component that really jumped out to me when you were talking was that it inside your own head and your brain slows down, right? So you have to, I, I'm picturing like making sure that my breath stays, you know, uh, it keeps me in the parasympathetic, right? So I'm not panicking and, and all those fragmented thoughts and very methodically going through organizing your thoughts, organizing my thoughts to the, okay. And then going through almost like this checklist, which initially might be a little, as with anything, will be a little bit clumsy, a little bit, you know, there's going to be some room for error and growth as again, as with anything that you've learned, especially that has some bad habits beforehand, you know, the conditioning that you talked about. And then from there, it just sort of speeds up and becomes automatic. Right. So, but when you said it just really jumped out to me that you're, it's slowing down in here. It's about slowing down and being really methodical and giving yourself the space purposeful, to purposeful. there's the word exactly. purposeful yeah. thoughtful meaningful yeah all great words fantastic really fascinating things i want to get into your story now we've had you know uh, a good uh, a good chunk of exactly what you're doing you got a preview you know obviously just sort of the tip of the iceberg i'm gathering from uh, from everything <laughs> you're saying here there's oh, so much meat on the bone that we could get into uh, but let's get into your story. I want to hear about your origin story. What was your relationship? You've hit, you've had some hints uh, and some of the responses, but I want to give you the open floor just to tell us all the uh, the highlights and uh, we'll say learning opportunities that you've had along the way. Well, I think, you know, in my infamous wisdom about myself, because I cared enough to get to know myself at levels that most people would fear going, is that, you know, you know, I said, you know, my journey started at the age of four and I can say that that was when I experienced my first sexual assault. And at that time, I can look back and at, at the age of four, I already felt disempowered to, to say anything, right? This is, this is a story that nobody in my family even knows, right? Like my, my parents, both my parents that were raising me at the time are gone. My adult siblings don't need to know, right? Like all of these things. And, um, you know, so I experienced that. But the reason where that message came that I, that nobody was going to hear me, believe me or whatever, like it was pointless to even try to say anything, even though I knew that what happened was wrong, was because I had already begun hearing at that age that, that uh, nobody wanted to hear what I had to say. And the reason for that is, you know, I was highly, I was born a highly intellectual being. I was reading, writing, doing arithmetic and playing chess by the time I was four years old. And, and maybe that's not, you know, amazing for, for other people listening, but, but for me in my generation or in my era and inside of my family, inside of my unit, it was huge. And, and so when a four-year-old could carry on, a, carry a conversation with her siblings that are eight, nine, and 10 years older than, than her and, and be able to hold their own, <laughs> you know, um, it, it, it's, it, it's intimidating. So, you know, I, and, and I heard that message quite a bit, but, you know, I, 
you know, just remember always feeling like perfectionism was something that needed to happen. So um, at five and a half, I decided I wanted to start playing classical piano. And of course, went overboard with that. And I was competitively swimming before I was the age of seven. And, and so there was this, this need and this pressure to perform. And I was very meticulous, like everything had to match from head to toe. And, you know, everything had to be just so. And, and then I started experiencing more traumas. Um, and, and in that, you know, I witnessed my, my dad um, being struck by lightning. That was, you know, very traumatic. And, and I, I had this deep, deathly fear of the dark. Um, and, and so that would cause me panic. And it was all, all things that I felt like I couldn't talk about or share about because then it would be less than perfect. Um, and, you know, just kind of fast forwarding, you know, when my dad was killed when I was 12 in a, in a freak motorcycle accident, you know, I was looking around and I was watching the adults and I already knew what alcohol was. I was, you know, I was allowed to have small amounts of wine in seven up at dinner um, on occasion. And, you know, so I knew what it was and dad always let me walk by and sip his beer. Like it was, so it wasn't something new, but when he died and I noticed all of, you know, the adults, you know, damn, I'm like, I, I can't talk. I want to just isolate. I was in shock. I was all of these things and everybody was drinking, smoking and, and able to smile and share. So I'm like, whatever. I picked up a six pack and a pack of cigarettes and went and hung out with my cousin and it worked. And it was kind of on from there as far as my relationship with alcohol, like it had an emotional purpose. Um, and, and, you know, through the years, I, I experienced a lot of other, um, you know, traumatic events. There were, there were numerous uh, sexual assaults, um, domestic violence, emotional abuse, emotional neglect, um, that carried on throughout throughout my life until I was about the age of 26. Um, and then there was a lot of good stuff too, right? Like, so so I wasn't, you know, I had, you know, some really low bouts uh, with alcohol and a couple of DUIs. Um, and I would have those traumatic nights where, you know, arguments with partners or the domestic violence would kick in. But I also was a mom, right? And, and so... Um, and had shared custody. So most of the ugliness happened when, you know, my son wasn't with me. Um, and, and so I had like this whole split, split life. And it was really hard to manage because I also was a very, again, high achieving. I had a great career, was super young, right? Like this, this young 19 year old running like a whole printing plant. <laughs> anyway, you know, um, and, and balancing that being 19 and, you know, hanging out in this man's world of, you know, printing and marketing. So there was always a lot of drinking and, and things in my life. And, and, you know, so, but I was always able to reel it in, right? I was always able to reel it in. Then I met my, my husband and we together have five children. I met him and I, I actually kind of forgot about my anorexia and uh, my, my, my negative relationship with food and, and that control need in there. Um, but, you know, I started to, to heal and, and change from the anorexia and body dysmorphia um, when I was 26. And um, then I met my, my spouse at, um, when I, who, who wasn't then, but is now my spouse. Um, we met when I was 27 and I really started to learn how to accept unconditional positive regard in my life. And, and so, you know, that a relationship with alcohol, that that need for it, that emotional purpose that it had been given, which was for sadness, disparity, fear, 
um, you know, all of that when, you know, which was where, you know, my high levels of drinking happened. There was always daily drinking that, that just was always there, but it was, you know, so I went to the daily drinking and, and, you know, it kind of ebbed and flowed through the years, but, uh, had a few near death experiences, um, had a, had a major surgery. Um, one of our, one of our children had, you know, we, you know, experienced a very traumatic event there with, with leukemia and bone marrow transplant and, you know, just, you know, things that as a family, we had to rally around and do, and, you know, um, and, and, you know, when that came out the other side, you know, there's always that release, right. Um, and, and especially when you're in control mode. And so during that period, you know, there was a lot of control with my alcohol, like, you know, cause I had to be back and forth and I had to be, you know, good for, for the whole family, um, because I am a very big codependent people pleaser, you know, be the fixer, all of that. Um, so when that was over and then the kids started moving out, the empty nest really, really affected me. I mean, I developed generalized anxiety disorder and um, probably had it all along. <laughs> you know, if we get down to it. Anyway, my doctor who knew I was um, a daily drinker, right? A low level daily drinker, right? I'm like, I, like, I drink three to six beers every day, right? Every day, seven days a week without fail, right? Like I drink every day. And she knew this, but prescribed me Xanax anyway. And, um, you know, I knew like, you know, you don't pop a Xanax and drink a beer together. Like I knew that, but what I didn't know was the scientific pieces behind it. So we fast forward five years and I'm still being prescribed freely Xanax. Um, my, my tolerance, right. Synergistically, they exacerbated each other. So my tolerance mm. alcohol continued to grow and my tolerance to Xanax continued to grow, although I never did exceed my prescription for Xanax, right? I was, I was able, you know, I, in fact, she would want to give me higher doses and I'd say, no, keep me at the little half dose, right? The little 0.5, whatever I can control it from there for myself, but I would always know, but then as my, my, anyway, so it just got to a point where, you know, like I was actually able to you know, consume an 18 pack as a maintenance drinker without anybody realizing that it was that much. Like I'd have to exceed that for anybody to even really, you know, notice the difference. Mm. Um, not, not in that I seemed sober, but that it was different than the three to six. Right. <laughs> um, and, and it, it just, I got scared. I'll just be honest. I got scared. I couldn't quit for the first time in my life at 43, I couldn't stop on my own. I couldn't take a, you know, six month break. I couldn't even take a day break, right? Mm. The, the physiological withdrawal would set in. So I was at this, I had to, and then I could feel my liver working. Um, you know, my hands would shake, my be nauseated. And I was just like, this is for a control freak. This isn't okay, right? There was nothing wrong in my life. Our family unit was great physiologically for the first time in my life, I had lost all control. And, and so that's what landed me in a medical detox. That's what landed me in a 30 day program. Um, and, and that's what led me to round out my recovery journey that I didn't realize had started back at 26 years old when I decided I was going to, you know, do what I could to get out of the anorexia, right? 
um, still, and, and I, and I've uncovered so many things with that, that I didn't do correctly. Um, there was still so many things with the pressure to, you know, that there were, there was still restricting there, you know, it just wasn't at the same level. Right. Again, there's levels of severity and I've just been so fascinated to watch and monitor them and, or observe them through my past um, and see how they ebb and flow and using myself as like my primary case study because I had so many years that I could study and watch those levels of severity ebb and flow in way in many so many different periods of life um even when it was in drug experimentation right in the in the 80s I had a period where I experienced experimented with methamphetamine um I tried marijuana none of them worked for me the only one that actually worked for me was um, alcohol um, and benzos. Um, I mean, opiates, they were worthless, right? They, they just, they never did anything for me. But, but you know, so all of these periods, like it was so interesting to watch the process, the behavior, the chemicals, the, all of it ebb and flow throughout my life. Every time, like I thought I was doing better, right? Put down the alcohol for six months. Um, there were periods where I put down the alcohol for three years. Um, but I can see now what things I put in its place. And it was always something else, right? Fitness. I started bodybuilding. Um, I became a trainer. Um, uh, you know, just a lot of things. And, and there was always something that I had to replace it with. I don't have anything anymore that I have to have to feel peace, joy, comfort, relief, value, validity, or worthiness. It all comes from within me. Like I am okay. Even if I say, scrap my calendar for the day, I'm just going to lay here. I'm totally down with that. Right. Like it's okay. Over the weekend at this conference, everybody was getting ready to watch, you know, sober comedians. Everybody was going to have, you know, go off, go off campus, if you will, and go eat together in these big groups. Yada. Peace out. Going to bed. Right. <laughs> like I'm, they're like, it's six o'clock. I'm like, that's cool. Cool beans. I need, I need quietness, right? Yes. Like I need, I need to give back to myself right now. And, and, and in that means it's time for me to withdraw myself from the situation. Go have fun. Right. Yes. Anyway, yeah. I could talk for hours. My story is super long. That was probably just like one of the shortest surfacey versions i could probably give you no that's great yeah again though yeah as, as we get further in this interview it's pretty apparent we could do like a mini series just on various subjects including your story right uh but it's great you know this the things that come up in your story for me is and you know what we touched on earlier just to circle back earlier in the interview about like the transfer of addiction and addictive behavior right and you mentioned the bodybuilding and you know, it's, I, I get the impression that's like this, yeah, like the, the fixer energy, like the achiever energy and all this never got a, or hadn't gotten a reprieve up into a certain period. And the real work was to get into that. And that's what we sort of discussed as, you know, you being your own case study and really getting into that. But, and you also mentioned a quote that stood out to me when we started is like, you went into spots with yourself that a lot of people are afraid to do, or perhaps hesitant to, you know, or both, you know, a little bit of both, right. As far as, as far as that goes. And, and you, uh, again, with the work that you've done with yourself, uh, you know, there's so many layers to that. So when was there, you know, I'm just, I'm guessing from what you're saying, or inferring that it was, it was just a lengthy process and you not viewing it as having a finish line per se, but when was it there, was there a specific 
instance where you're like, okay, this uh, transfer of energy into like, albeit healthier habits is still not serving me. There's still something that's not quite, uh, you know, sitting well with me. Uh, was there, you know, the equivalent of a rock bottom moment with that specific thing, the behavioral traits that, that led you into the work that you're doing? Or was it just sort of this gradual curiosity that, that picked up over time? Oh, there's so many, there's so many different ways I can answer that question. Um, the, when I, when I decided I was going to, you know, to create this, you know, and, and, and go down this journey, you know, one of the things was, you know, I, I noticed a, a significant piece of, of me that, that didn't, didn't match what I wanted to see or, or feel. And that was what I call being in the stance of a judger. Okay. And, um, it was through that work that I really uncovered the greatness of the work that I do today, helping thousands of others do the same, right? And and so you think about, you know, just being out in society, right? Just just dr think about driving in your car down the the highway or freeway or whatever it is you call it, right? Born and raised in Southern California, so when I was doing this work, I was actually commuting from um, a fifty mile commute to go to school. Wow. in Southern California. So a lot of freeway time. So it allowed me, but it also, it, it, it actually illuminated a lot for me because when you're driving down there, there's a lot of, you know, hurriedness. So when, when somebody would be tailgating me, my propensity was to step on the brake, right? Judger. And, and, you know, go into that stance of who the heck do you think you are trying to keep my clean there, right? Like, who the heck do you think you are, right? Like, don't, don't encroach on my world, right? Like, think. Um, and, and so, you know, I'd get into that stance of a judger, or I would notice myself judging other people's appearance, or their mannerisms, or their thoughts, or their beliefs, or their views and opinions. And I would judge it negatively anytime that it didn't match or mirror my own or fit into my game plan. Mm. And, and so I'll go back to the car thing, right? So I, you know, I started looking at that and I, I decided that being in the stance of a learner, right? Because I was learning about myself was, was so much softer, kinder, and gentler. So in times where you don't have the opportunity to inquire for deeper understanding. Like I wasn't going to pull over and ask the guy like, Hey, can you share with me why you're tailgating? <laughs> like, like the, I, yeah. I wasn't going to do that. That would be highly dangerous and just ridiculous. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But in my head, it was, you know what? I don't know this person. Right. Again, go back to, you know, my life motto, which is, this is my life too. It gets to look, feel, be however I want it to. I can get to choose. So I'm thinking to myself, like, wow, there's this guy behind me, right, that is clearly in a hurry. I don't know what's happening for him. I'm going to move over and let him go by, mm -hmm. right, and and just wish him well, because I don't know. Sure, he could be, you know, could have stayed out late on Sunday night. He could be hungover and, and in a rush for a meeting he's late to, and it could for sure be self-induced, you know, stress, or guess what? It could also be that his kid just got hit by a train and he's frantically trying to get to the hospital to be with him before he goes into surgery. Mm. 
in that case, I want to get out of his way as a parent, as a loving, caring, you know, being, right? So I choose to say it's none of my business, right? What's happening in there? Like I would notice, right? Driving down the freeway on a weekend, right? Everybody be going around this car, right? And there's two different versions to this, right? So when it became my turn to go around the car, my usual MO would be to come up next to him and do what everybody else was, you know, throw the mad dog, like, hey, you know, get out of the fast lane. Instead, you know, I just, I looked and one time it was a husband and wife out on a Saturday drive, thoroughly enjoying each other, laughing, smiling, having a good time. And I'm like, hell, I wish that was me right now. Right? Like, and, and, and guess what? They're going 65, which is the speed limit. If we all don't know the definition of that word, we should pull up the dictionary. <laughs> Um, I get it. None of us drive that speed. And yes, it is slow for the fast lane, but that's because of our choice, not necessarily the law. Right. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, and then the other time was my turn to go around and I looked and it was somebody who appeared to be roughly in their early eighties who had an oxygen tank next to him. It was in their nose, but they were driving and, and, you know, it was a small town area. It was on a highway in the slow lane, right? They were going probably 55, right? Just trying to exercise their right to have the autonomy to maintain some activities of daily living for themselves, right? Just yeah. trying to, con you know, to have that, have that you know, capability, of, you know, not relinquishing all things. He wasn't doing anything wrong. He wasn't driving, you know, dangerously, 55 in the slow lane on a two lane highway, go around him, right? right like, right. let him have that. Like how much, you know, I don't know, right? I was like, wow. So when I learned to, to really watch my judger stance mm -hmm. and how to get into that, that, that stance of a learner, it improved my relationship with myself right? Now I could dive deeper, right? Help me understand. Why, why do you think, feel, believe that way? Where, where are those thoughts coming from? Where are those feelings coming from? Where did they derive from? You know, how long ago did they originally belong to you or did they come from somebody else and you've just adopted them and, start, you know, taken ownership of them, right? Like, let's take some stock in your inventory. Um, and then I was able to offer it every other being on the planet I came into contact with. You know, if I didn't like what I was hearing, one, it was my choice. What filter am I listening it through, right? If I if I have my boundary system, which for me, boundaries are different. It's a filtration system. It's something that protects me and, and the people around me and my environment, right? So am I filtering it properly? Am I using the right filter? Am I seeing through the right lens that, I've let, that allows this to, you know, to stay in a productive, proactive, effective space and 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 that allows me the ability to you know clarify or confirm that i'm even understanding the person correctly like we read these text messages you know and it's we put our own we assign our own perceived tone of voice to them yeah. right like hey i can't believe you did that or i can't believe you did that two totally different things but if you're reading it you get to choose how about clarifying like who before i read this Right before I before I answer this, I want to make sure I'm reading this with the right tone and inflection in my voice. Yeah, yeah. Awesome. Are you? Are you? Sorry if my dog's barking. 
Um, you know, are you are you upset something that I did or said, or are you are you feeling excited about something that I did, right? Because I need I need more I need more input before I know how to respond. Otherwise, I'm just being reactive and assuming. Yes, that's so important. I love it. I love it. So taking that judgment stance uh, and and taking a more of like a learner. There's more details to to be had. Yeah, so good, so good. As you, okay, I thought you were, yeah, I'm like, I'm gonna no, have to uh, uh, do some, uh, do some uh, ad lib here. No, that's great. That's all good with the dogs. I, my dogs are, are, it's right around mailman time, so you might hear my dogs as well. They might meet yours apparently, but mm -hmm. yeah, such great stuff here, Trisha. That's amazing, amazing, wow. amazing stuff. I love, uh, I love the work that you're doing here, and I could talk to you all day. I want to be respectful for your time, though, as well. You know, we'll, uh, perhaps look at a part two and i was as i uh, you know i've mentioned it before we got started uh you know potential collaboration on your podcast i would love to come on and talk about my journey Absolutely. so Absolutely. Uh, yeah just you know what as we wind it down here and then you, you can go see your dogs there as well uh two quick questions um where can we find you online what's the easiest way to reach out to you if uh you know if somebody's listening to this and going wow this is really landing be with honest. Me. the quickest easiest way is to go to turningleavesrecovery.com that's l-e-a-v-e-s turningleavesrecovery.com in the top right hand corner in fact you'll even see a little video of me saying hey let's just have a conversation there's a button at the top that says have a conversation click it well i'll show up you put it on my calendar i'll show up cool and that is probably the quickest easiest way you can subscribe or whatever and go the roundabout way but i'm pretty easy person to Easygoing person to talk to. Absolutely. Um, that's probably my best recommendation. <laughs> Back, okay, for sure. I'll throw that in the show notes. And my final question, you did bring it up. I believe it. Uh, I'm assuming, or imagine it's one of your core values or it's up there anyways. I like to, to end with this particular question. What does authenticity or being authentic mean to you? Mm. Um, <clears throat> well, again, it, it goes into that 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 transparency right that genuineness um and and just being honest but living a life in in, in integrity morally and ethically um and, and so you know if i'm pretending to be something i'm not if i'm not open honest and genuine um you know then then i'm not being authentic I'm, I'm pretending to be something else. So I, I try to be in beingness mm. um, all the time, right? So for me, it's not about changing um, the self, right? Like I, I didn't change. It wasn't about changing everything about who I was. It was about changing how as a being I showed up. Ooh. And, and, and so, you know, I'm, it, it's just important, right? Like you'll never, I don't know. I just, I just don't know how to be anything else other than to show up with who I am authentically on the, at, at any given moment, right? Like, Hey, I'm burned out, but I'm here. Right. Like, mm, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, so, so, you know, I just, I believe that, you know, there's a beauty in, in being authentic. So if I try to be something that I'm not, I don't, I can't even figure out what's not authentic. 
right? Like I just don't even know anymore. I used to know, but I just don't even know anymore, right? Like everything that I do is authentically me. I love it. That's a great place to end it. Trisha, thank you so much for your time today. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you. Thank you.